1: Good morning Brew Daily Show. I am Neil Freiman. And I'm Toby Howell. On today's episode, of course, we're gonna talk about what everyone else is talking about which is this wildfire smoke blanketing the Northeast US right now. We're gonna try to get through that one without coughing. I have a lot of confidence in us. And if you're a pickleball fan, I've got a list of the cities with the most pickleball courts per capita so you can dink to your heart's delight. Then we'll break down the specifics of the contract that
0: lured Lionel Messi to the shores of South Beach before finishing up with a story about some sewage sleuthing that led one doctor to turn to poop to track down a cryptic strain of COVID. Neil, it's Thursday, June 8th. Let's ride. (laughs) All right, so yesterday at the end of the show, just before you, we told you what hair and makeup we're up to, we asked you all to write in and tell us where you are listening to the show from. And holy moly, you have us feeling like Pitbull because Morning Brew Daily is giving Mr. Worldwide a run for his money. Neil, take us through some of the
1: locations that came through the email and the YouTube comments yesterday. Sure, we got, we got listeners in Hong Kong, Australia, Puerto Rico. I'm not going to say it like Trump. <laughs> Uh, Monterey, Mexico, Oakland, California, Boise, Idaho, Brazil, Atlanta, India. We had Amita writing in from uh, Tanzania, so we could form our own United Nations.
0: I love that Boise, Idaho just made it in there, too. Shout out, Boise. But, yeah, thanks you to everyone who listens, and I can't believe how global we are. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the internet, feeling.
1: globalization. Yeah. Um, let's go to our first story. Yesterday uh, had very March 2020 vibes here in New York City. People were walking around in masks. They were urged to spend most of their time in their homes. Events were canceled and social media users became experts in something they hadn't even heard about the day before. (laughs) Of course, I am talking about this wildfire smoke that choked the city and other regions of the Northeast yesterday. Seems again, uh, it's gonna be bad today. And I don't wanna blame Canada on everything, (laughs) but you have to blame Canada for this because smoke from more than 400 wildfires raging in Canada right now has drifted down to the US and caused these really apocalyptic scenes of orange haze reminiscent of Blade Runner or Mars. I don't know what Mars looks like, but (laughs) I can imagine it was pretty close. Um, it was really, really unhealthy. According to Stanford researchers, yesterday was likely the worst day for wildfire smoke in American history in terms of the number of people who were exposed to toxic wildfire smoke. And New York City had the worst air quality of any city in the world. Number America one. first, baby. Yeah, number one. <laughs> Let's go. So the smoke, besides freaking everyone out, was truly disruptive to daily life and the summer economy. So the FAA slowed flights headed to Newark, LaGuardia, and Philadelphia International Airport. Because of the low visibility, thousands of flights were delayed. The home games of the New York Yankees and the Phillies were canceled. Schools across the Northeast canceled all outdoor activities, so that must have been fun for parents who had to pick up their kids without running around. Uh, Some Broadway shows, including Hamilton, were canceled because the performers were having trouble singing. So were many other outdoor events, including concerts and plays and thankfully they canceled the horse carriage rides around central park out of concern for the animals health just make that permanent please yeah
0: it's it's like the world's worth worst snow day where you get n- none of the benefits of like knowing that it's you're gonna have a work from home day uh by the way we did not cancel the podcast even though we're we're doing a little coffin right here um i also think it's funny that all the West coasters and the Californians and the people from Oregon, Seattle area are saying, looking at us, freaking out about wildfires and saying, you know that this happens to us every single year. And only when it finally hits New York is it getting all this outsized media coverage. So I thought that was a really funny dynamic on
1: social media yesterday. I was talking to my friend in uh, Colorado and he's like, yeah, this happens all the time (laughs) out here. And what you saw was, (laughs) I bet you air purifiers sales are through the roof we right were, now we
0: were seeing it uh on social media yesterday people were posting signs on uh like hardware stores saying we do not have any air purifiers right. go elsewhere it's actually there's also this seo arms race that's happening i just googled air purifiers and you see every major news publication has a story saying here's where you can find an air fire for 25 off so it's a very interesting thing to see how internet companies that kind of jumped on this and using it
1: for seo um yeah it's just it's affecting everyone so just want to talk about the health impact uh smoke smoke from wildfires it's it's not good for you and obviously it's worse for vulnerable people older people children people with heart disease asthma other respiratory diseases and you can protect yourself by definitely staying indoors but that's not all you can do um, because outdoor contaminants can get into mm-hmm. indoors as well as we we were sitting in the office yesterday and we we're like it smells like a freaking bonfire out here so they recommend you turn on the AC because an HVAC system can sort of circulate the air if you have one and then you can also get a portable air purifier which is what uh, you know our friends in Colorado and the West Coast have and you can also track the air quality using various apps so the EPA has this app App called Now, which experts recommend you uh, download, and uh, can sort of scope out the scene that way. It is does not look good right now. Yeah. um, But you know, these people all on the West Coast are. uh, I saw. I read about someone living in Sacramento who's like, "Yeah, everyone out here has these apps downloaded, and we." it's, it's, It's sort of the way of life, and obviously, and people living in Asian countries as well are sort of just used to this. And here in New York, we're like, "This is the first time we've ever experienced it. This is the worst." Ever. Yeah.
0: Although, I, one final note on air quality. So yesterday, uh, actually on Tuesday, air uh, pollutions hung around 52 to 70 micrograms of pollutant per cubic meter of air. That's how you measure air, air pollution. And... That's still lower than the 100 to 200 micrograms per cubic meter. That was the annual average concentration in New York City in the 60s and 70s. That was before the Air Quality Act, air, the Clean Air Act was passed. And so air quality in New York used yeah. to be really, really bad and almost like a wildfire was happening every single day. So
1: I am never taking fresh air for granted. Right. Again. Exactly. And that's for, the takeaway. And for many people, this was a sign of like the climate change yes. crisis, like happening now and just mm-hmm. going into the future you're already seeing insurers like State Farm and Allstate not insuring homes in California because of the wildfires um and it's just like damn this is our new normal it's dystopian man all right let's
0: move on neil the goat My GOAT, the greatest soccer player on earth, Lionel Messi, has decided where he will be playing soccer next season. It's not Barcelona. It's not in Saudi Arabia. It's in my home state of Florida, baby. Messi is officially on his way to Major League Soccer, where he will play for Inter Miami. So how did a league that calls it soccer and not even football (laughs) convince our boy Leo to come? Well, a contract has not officially been signed yet, but it's reportedly a complex two-and-a-half-year deal with a total value well over $100 But that number feels surprisingly low when you consider that Messi reportedly turned down a nearly $400 million per year deal from Saudi Arabia. But here's the magic of the Inter-Miami deal. According to reports, it includes agreements with Adidas, who is the main sponsor of the MLS, where Messi would snag a cut of any increase in Adidas profits resulting from his involvement in MLS. There's also reportedly a similar deal that involves Apple TV Plus, who bought the broadcast rights to MLS for two and a half billion dollars earlier this year. And finally, there's likely a piece that would see Messi getting a stake in Inter-Miami itself, which is currently valued at $600 million. You can better believe, though, that that number will go up Mm -hmm. once uh, Messi's signing is completed so overall the financial piece has a ton of upside for messi plus he gets to play in the best league in
1: the world (laughs) that's objectively not true that is objectively not true but i think let's talk about the apple thing because that's super interesting uh apple last year paid mls 2.5 billion dollars to be the exclusive broadcast home Of MLS across a hundred countries on this program called Apple's Season Pass MLS Season Pass for
0: the next ten for the next ten years not for one year we're not no not for not for
1: one year but basically Messi now has a rev share with every new subscriber that signs up for this MLS Season Pass on Apple he gets a cut of that which uh, I was looking while you know reading these uh, streaming experts and they're like we have never seen anything like this because for Adidas. Uh, these merchandise and apparel companies, it's kind of common for them to chip in to bring huge stars from one one mm-hmm. team to another. But it's kind of unheard of in this streaming age for a, a you know Apple. I was going to say a, a media company, but it <laughs> literally makes <laughs> I, <laughs> iPhones yeah. to chip in and say like Messi, you're going to help us out because all these people, not only in the United States but around the world, probably a ton in Argentina are now gonna be watching MLS soccer and signing up for our service. And we want you to have a piece of that as a a, a carrot to come to the MLS.
0: I mean, honestly, the Adidas relationship is really interesting, too, because in most other leagues, there's a variety of kind of sportswear sponsors Mm -hmm. like Manchester United is an Adidas team, but Manchester City wears Puma. But in the MLS, every single team wears Adidas because it is kind of the presenting sponsor of the league. And so that's why Adidas is willing to chip in to bring Messi in, because Hypothetically, Messi brings more eyeballs. Which, yeah. I mean, he will. So it's a good good deal for them. And then also, I, I wanted to uh, touch on the point of h- him getting a stake in Inter Miami. MLS franchises are kind of punch above their weight in terms of how much they're worth. And that's because in the MLS, there's no promotion or relegation, which is, again, a staple. People who watch soccer know that every other European league has promotion relegation. And while it's super fun for fans, it's horrible for team owners because if you get relegated, you lose the lucrative TV-sharing deal that the top leagues have, and basically the, the value of your franchise plummets. In the U.S., in order to convince owners to buy a franchise, they can't have a promotion relegation. And so these franchises hold their value very well. So you better believe that Miami, Inter-Miami's $600 million valuation is only going to mm. keep ticking upwards.
1: So, yeah, this deal... Messy the businessman. It is a really creative, interesting deal. And it could be a huge, you know, huge moment for MLS. Uh, Definitely the biggest signing uh, since David Beckham in 2007. He went to Los Angeles. I mean, just one instance of the one example of this is that Inter Miami's Instagram doubled in the hours, their number of followers doubled in the hours after Messi signed. So it could be, uh, you know, it could be a little bit of a needle moving moment for MLS and it's super exciting. I'm pumped. All right, there is a ton of back to the office news I want to talk about. Uh, Let's first go with this cautionary tale about when you let workers go remote, it is a tall task to bring them back to the office. So the insurance company Farmers is finding out right now the hard way because its employees are revolting after its new CEO said many of them will soon be required to come back to the office for three days a week, the Wall Street Journal reported. Uh, The problem is that this company last year promoted a flexible remote culture. Many of the employees took that to mean, okay, I'm gonna move to a different city, I'm going to sell my car because I don't need that for a commute anymore. They spent a lot of money upgrading their home offices and they are just super angry about having to come back to the office. Employees left more than 2000 angry comments on the internal on the company's internal social media network, and some are threatening to quit or unionize, saying they were misled. Now, obviously, this is bad, but I want we want to talk about it because it's not an isolated incident. We've seen this kind of backlash with other companies that are doing uh, a bit of an office U-turn. Disney, Amazon, and Lyft are dealing with really angry employees who were promised remote work but are now being required to return to the office at least some of the time. To you know, executives think that this is just better overall for the company. Uh, I learned this from being a camp counselor for many years. You can always go from strict to lenient, but you cannot go the other way around because you've just set the expectation.
0: Yeah, no, that's the main takeaway here is you can't yet give them the benefit and then try to to take it away. And it's so interesting because my whole shift on this, my whole perspective on this has shifted since coming into an office. It's so bad, but I kind of see where it's coming from where it is so much better, especially in- our line of work where creativity and collaboration is actually very important. That's where I always think it falls a little flat is the farmer's insurance CEO is saying, that's why we're coming back to the office to increase creativity and collaboration in insurance. Like it just doesn't seem as, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can see it for Disney, for instance, that makes a lot more sense. So you just feel duped though, when you
1: say, yeah, it's all about communication. Right. I mean, you can, you can debate the merits of office work or not in office work, but it, it is all about, you know, what executives are saying and how they back it up. Speaking of PR disasters, yeah. uh, Salesforce, uh, wants to get, uh, its employees back into the office. It's CEO, Mark Benny office had a complete U-turn. He said for, you know, early in the pandemic, he was like, Oh, remote work is great. And now he said that the, Employees that he hired for remote work uh, were less productive than the ones in office. So they're doing this fundraising initiative called Connect for Good, and they're donating $10 to a local charity for each day an employee comes into the office between June 12th and June 23rd. This got a lot of backlash for, you know, being called emotionally manipulative (laughs) of of workers to say like, hey, if you don't, you know, this child is going to go hungry uh, if you don't come back to the office. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's ridiculous, too, because the workers are like, just give us the money and we'll decide to donate to charity. Don't do it on our behalf. So, yeah, you're seeing these PR nightmares. One final thing on this return to office debate. Martha Stewart weighed in, came in kind of from the top rope. She's everywhere. You can't escape her. In a recent interview with Footwear News, she said, you can't possibly get everything done working three days a week in the office and two days remotely. That was her baseline stance. And then she just ricochet shot at France for some reason. She goes, look at the success of France and their stupid, you know, off for August, blah, blah, blah. This is a direct quote. That's not a very thriving country. So it's just funny that people just have these very, very deep-seated feelings about the office, especially when you came from a generation where
1: it wasn't an option at all. So I would just keep my mouth shut about this if I'm a, a public figure. But she kind of does have a point with France. <laughs> I, if you've, if you have friends with anybody who works with Europe, uh, yeah, with Europe, they will tell you that you cannot get in touch with anyone over the summer. They just don't work over the summer. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know it's over amazing there. for work life balance, but yeah. you know, our America's GDP is a lot higher than this, so I'll just say that. <laughs> True that. All right, before we jump into the next half of our show,
0: we're going to take a quick break.
1: All right, let's get into Neil's numbers, which is the segment where uh, I share three facts or figures or stats from the week's news after I did all my reading. Um, Let's go with number one is if you're thinking of moving to a new city and the availability of pickleball courts is important to you which it is to many, Yes, I've got a list of the US cities with the most pickleball courts per capita, according to a new study from the Trust for Public Land, which is doing the Lord's work here. So number one on the list is Seattle with 20.5 courts per 100,000 people. Number two is St. Petersburg, Florida. Then we got Lincoln, Nebraska, surprise, surprise, Honolulu, and Madison, Wisconsin. The least amount of pickleball courts per capita, and this may be for some people who don't wanna hear the noise all the time. Well, I would suggest moving to Fresno or Buffalo, both with virtually none. So pickleball, uh, the reason we're talking about this, it is the fastest growing sport in the US right now, and they just can't build enough courts to satisfy demand in the biggest uh, in the 100 biggest U.S. cities, the number of public pickleball courts has spiked sixfold, from 420 in 2017 to 2,800 now. You know,
0: I love pickleball. These, this is music to my ears, Neil, and it makes sense, Seattle, because I'll drop my fact— uh, uh, Pickleball was invented on Bainbridge Island, which is an island off uh, near Seattle. It's also where my girlfriend's from. And so I, time there. I've spent a lot of time there and they have like the origin of pickleball courts in the park. It's it's steep into the very history of, of Bainbridge Island. So it, it makes sense that Seattle's number one. Are they
1: building a Pickleball Hall of Fame there?
0: <laughs> That's, where it would be, That's where it would be, truly. Uh, I don't know if they have like the space. It's kind of a, a small island. So I love to see pickleball.
1: And then <laughs> I know, we, I just want to bring this up because we talked about. Swimply a couple, maybe last week, Mm -hmm. which is the startup uh, that that helps people rent out private swimming pools in their backyard. It recently said it was moving into the pickleball space. So it's allowing people to rent out pickleball courts to others. And it said that the revenue from its pickleball division, it's expecting that to pass revenue from its swimming pool division in the next few years. Crazy. So does it have to change its name to... I don't even know. Uh, Maybe it will. Pickleball limply. (laughs) Maybe it will. Um, Let's move on. So it's a tale as old as time. A kid finds their parents debit card and burns their life savings by buying things on mobile games. This time, a 13 year old girl in China and her friends spent $64,000 on mobile game transaction with her mother's debit card and when the teacher called her mom about the girl's potential video game addiction the mom checked her bank account and found a balance of just 7 cents and kind of freaked out so the story of this extremely large allowance went viral in china receiving more than 140 million views on weibo china's version of twitter and i think it hit a nerve because the government has treated video addiction video game addiction in china as a serious threat putting internet restrictions on teens and children and the government says teens aren't supposed to play video games for more than 3 hours a week but it's also a problem in the US i mean how many stories have we read right. of kids you know somehow stumbling on their parents credit cards uh, or getting their payment information and spending thousands of dollars on games like roblox which make it so easy right. for to to buy these like in-game purchases or what they're called microtransactions
0: yeah although i did the this particular news story out of china she was like covering up and like hiding the bank yes. account so this was not her accidentally stumbling upon it. Do we know what game it is, or is it? I
1: don't not, know what game. Not I'd something see.
0: that would be recognizable. I'm just gonna imagine it's Candy Crush, and that she
1: really wanted a bunch of extra lives—sixty-four uh, thousand dollars worth of them. This is just a huge thing. So the global microtransaction market is growing to seventy-six billion dollars this year from sixty-eight billion last year. These games make it so easy for you. They yeah. lure you in to make it free, and then they say like, "Buy this, buy this, buy this," so yeah. you can have a better experience. All right, our final Neil's number, uh, it's less of a stat and more of a summer summer travel tip for any thrill seekers uh, in the audience here. One of the most anticipated new roller coasters of the year, Wildcat's Revenge, is just opened in Hershey Park, PA, a park I used to go to as a kid. Uh, This is Neil's number, so I gotta hit you with some stats on this ride. You're gonna go up 140 feet on the lift hill and then plummet into the abyss on 82 degrees of descent. That seems quite steep. Uh, you're gonna hit a max speed of 62 miles per hour. Then over the course of the two minute and 30 second long ride, you're gonna hit four different inversions, including the world's largest underflip, which I cannot say I know what an underflip is. I think is, it's just a honest. more
0: intense loop de loop. Maybe
1: underflip. What's, what's interesting about this particular uh, roller coaster is it is an homage to two previous coasters at this park. Wildcat was the name of the first ever coaster at Hershey Park. It was built a hundred years ago in 1923 then another Wildcat was built in 1995 that coaster closed last year But on the final ride were the parents of a teenage ride operator who died of cancer and his favorite ride was Wildcat So it's kind of a poignant moment.
0: Yeah, this this is steeped in history and I I come from I'm from Florida, which is kind of the roller coaster capital of the world, and so I want to know. Uh, this is interesting because that 62 mile an hour top speed. There's a roller coaster in Busch Gardens called Cheetah, like something Cheetah Sprint, which I think is the fastest roller coaster in the world. So I'm what gonna is have, that? I'm gonna have to do. It's just it. It's a ride that. Uh,
1: no, I mean like what is the speed?
0: I know I I need uh, to look it up and right. compare and see if Cheetah
1: is faster than Wildcat and maybe do a little uh, trip to Hersheyville, and we'll po- Hershey Park, Hershey Park. You're Hershey not a Park. Northeast guy. I, I, I am not a roller coaster guy. I am even teacups. Like I won't go on. <laughs> I won't go on. Teacups. Oh my lord! Oh my lord! All right,
0: Neil. Uh, let's move on to our fifth and final story, which is actually all about number two. That's right. We got a story about poop to close out the show. Apparently, there is this mystery person in Ohio that scientists have been tracking for literally two years who has a unique never-before-seen strain of COVID. So how does poop come into play here? Well, COVID actually shows up in human waste and analyzing wastewater has been a decently reliable measure for tracking the spread of COVID over the life of the pandemic. So enter Dr. Mark Johnson, a virologist at the University of Missouri. He noticed a cryptic strain, which is a highly specific specific mutation of covid kept popping up in a certain area of ohio his hypothesis was that it's coming from one person and through various tracking methods he even narrowed it down to a point where he thinks the mystery pooper lives in columbus ohio and that they commute to work in a city about 45 minutes away
1: just a fantastic story neil yeah (sighs) If you yeah this is freaking wild this person has had covid for more than 2 years is just shedding viral loads every day they know exactly where they work they know exactly where they live i don't understand how they haven't found this person yet so if you live in columbus commute to washington courthouse aren't feeling well because this person is not feeling well they have two years. serious gi problems right now <laughs> and you are you know you maybe going to the bathroom in both places and you're ending up in the watershed contact this guy mark johnson yeah he's this is his pet project he needs to find out who this is because he says it's actually important for learning more about long covid right because this person's had it for over two years
0: yeah Ms. it's, it's wow. a it's a funny story but yeah it could be
1: it's, it's serious a great unlock for all right long covid what a show i'm uh kind of scared about leaving the office to see what it's like outside um please write us in morning brew daily at morningbrew.com Morning Brew Daily at morningbrew.com. We love hearing from you. Huge shout out to our crew for waking up early and braving the smoke to make the magic happen. Emily Iron is our editor and producer. Samantha Veles and Raymond Liu are the associate producers. Yuchenna Ogu is our technical director. Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and makeup has joined the hunt for the Columbus COVID (laughs) pooper. Devin Emery is our chief content officer and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow.